Welcome to San Diego News Fix, the backstory. I'm Luis Cruz. Hundreds of newspapers across the country, including the San Diego Union Tribune, have either stopped or will stop running the Dilbert comic strip after its creator made racist comments during a YouTube live stream last week. Joining us now to discuss the offensive remarks and the decision to stop running the Dilbert comic strip are Union Tribune Managing Editor Laura Sacalo and Angela DeJoseph, founder of Women of Color Roar, a nonpartisan multimedia organization that supports, nurtures, and encourages Black women to seek careers in public service and run for political office. Also joining us is former Union Tribune employee, Michael Kavna. Michael is now a visual artist and comic art writer at the Washington Post. And we begin with publisher and editor, Jeff Light. Jeff? Okay, thank you, Luis. Um, let's jump right into it. And I think, Michael, you're the right one to give the background on the story. You've uh, uh, written uh, written about uh, these events and, uh, and uh, the cartoon uh, uh, industry. And uh, and have worked uh, at the same syndicate as Scott Adams. So uh, just bring us all, all up to date on, uh, on on what's gone on here in the last week. Yeah, with this current, thank you, Jeff. With this current firestorm is um, which has a a long arc, a long backstory to cite the name of of what we're doing here today. Is that uh, last Wednesday, Scott using his Real Coffee YouTube show. Uh, began speaking, citing a Rasmussen poll and interpreting it in the in drawing conclusions to basically say that if if you were a black American, you were a part of a hate group because based on stats, uh, the stat the, the question revolved around the phrase, the slogan, it's OK to be white, which has roots to 2017. 4chan trolling, the Anti-Defamation League has called it a hate slogan. So you're basically loading a poll by using what is known to be a hate slogan. So, uh, you know, so on Saturday, uh, as this blew up and um, on Friday, Cleveland.com, the plain dealer was the the editor was one of the most vocal in canceling, you know, Dilbert over this and being very vocal. Uh, that really was part of the kerosene here. By Saturday, hundreds of papers were canceling Dilbert, including my Washington Post. And for full transparency, I, I got my start as a cartoonist at the Union Tribune. And yes, in the 90s, I was signed to the same syndicate as Scott, and we had the same editor for full transparency. But that all is, goes to show that as I was reporting this out Saturday, I texted Scott Adams he did acknowledge that if someone wants to question the date of the poll, that's fair. But he was very adamant about his points. He has doubled down on those points in subsequent days that basically he his quote was that he advised white people to, quote, get the hell away from, end quote, uh, white people. So subsequently, his syndicate publishers and newspapers and other people he has business ties with said, look, we can't be in business with someone who promotes uh, segregation or resegregation and someone who is spewing hate speech, promoting racism. And and so basically, Scott said to text to me on Saturday, I said, what's your client list like? He used to have 2000 papers. And he said, by Monday, around zero. So this was it felt like a very tactical move on his part. Hmm. Uh, he knew he was going to lose all this business. 
He went on Hotep Jesus on Saturday and said, why am I doing this? Is it for laughs? Is it, it's not for laughs. He said, it's not for reputation. It's not for money. I said, I never do anything for one reason. So Scott is, many would say a provocateur, a troller. And he texted me that look for the third act. So this feels like maybe, so maybe this entire last week has felt like intentional provocation. Yeah, it did have a bit of that flavor. Pretty ugly. And uh, let's come back in a second to uh, uh, um, some of the more of the backstory on this that I think Michael can help us with, including Rasmussen, which was a revelation to me uh, about what's going on there. But uh, uh, let's first turn to you, Angela. So, Angela, let me just ask you. So we've seen this uh, cartoonist uh, uh, off on his YouTube channel. Uh, sharing his uh, his uh, ugly views. Uh, but why should uh, the rest of us care about this guy's uh, prejudices? Why does it really matter from a, a social point of view and from a media point of view? Well, Jeff, there's two things going on here. One is that Scott, he said the quiet part out loud. And so, you know, as an African-American, I can tell you that this is evidence of what we've been saying all along. We have been saying that that racism is alive and well in the United States of America. And people say, no, it's over. We had a black president. But no, it isn't. And so what he did really is just put it out there. So now you guys have seen it and you can feel it uh, from him. But. One of the things I think the failings of the media was the normalization of Donald Trump, because Donald Trump was a known racist who had had federal lawsuits for housing discrimination, had made you know racial context uh, denigrating a group of people. But yet that was not brought to the front of the people's attention. So I think that when you see this backlash happening now, I'm glad to see it because what you're saying is that this is not, we are not in agreement with this. Allowing his comic strip to run in your paper, silence equals consent. So by you mm-hmm. making a decision to cut his ties, you're his employer. This is not, this isn't cancel culture. This is being fired because you are misrepresenting your employer who does not agree with you. Yeah, it was uh, it was uh, pretty uh, eye opening to me. The um, I, I guess I would call it like the Trumpiness of Rasmussen itself, uh, which is a pollster that I believe that we have run stories about Rasmussen polls just as a matter of course. I might be wrong. Laura can help us in a second. Uh, but in listening to the head pollster talk about this poll. Uh, it was sort of an attack on uh, critical race theory. It was an attack on critical race theory. And if you listen to his commentary, uh, he's got a, a strong agenda. Therefore, we have proven. Uh, um, and we can, I guess, get into the question about uh, uh, it's okay to be white, if, if I've got the phrase right, and why they included it and and how the Rasmussen pollster um uh, sort of weaponized that result in his little spiel, which uh, I think predated uh, the Dilbert guy spiel. Um, so all of that, I think, is very closely aligned, Angela, and it's uh, it was pretty interesting to see. Um, Laura Sacalo, as managing editor, uh, tell me a little bit about 
this decision making. I don't think this one was very hard for for you or for me. No. But but uh, but uh, where do we draw that line? To what extent do uh, do you police know about care about the uh, beliefs of the cartoonists or, or or other employees for that matter? Well, I wouldn't say I'm policing the beliefs of uh, of our employees or uh, vendors, but you know, Angela makes an excellent point. The, this is a transactional relationship that we have with the syndicate and, by extension, the the cartoonists. And you know, one thing I, I will point out: our our decision, as you said, was exceptionally easy. And the response that we've gotten has been overwhelmingly supportive. There have been some comments, both, you know, on our story on on the website and that I have read in other media, questioning whether or not this is infringing on his First Amendment rights. And that is conflating the issues here. This is not a First Amendment issue. And he can continue to spew racism and hatred on his YouTube channel. Elon Musk seems quite willing to give him a platform on Twitter. He was very, you know, supportive yesterday uh, in his comments. But we do not need in any way to support him to further his career, just as Penguin Books, his publisher, doesn't need to further his career by by publishing uh, an upcoming book. And, you know, I think something that is in such opposition to our core values, we don't need to support in any way, shape or form. And so to me, it was not it, it was not a difficult decision. And it is not in any way a reflection of our support for the First Amendment. This is a support for the Union Tribune and our community and our values. Yeah. And and I think in particular, here is a person who's using his platform, the the uh, the uh, public attention that he gains by being a widely distributed cartoonist, including in the Union Tribune, to promote these uh, 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 hateful, divisive and uh, in my opinion, misguided ideas, right? Um, um, and and I would also say ideas that were purposely um, sort of ginned up to promote the divide, divisiveness and uh, disinformation, right? Um, so let Michael, I just wanted to get back to you because you uh, have a lot of information about uh, about the career, Scott's career, uh, uh, sort of the arc that you've seen. A little bit you intimated that maybe we could have seen this coming. Well, the you know, I, I based it on my reporting and, and covering the comics industry. You know, I hear a lot. Um, uh, one of the most interesting interviews I had over the weekend was with Jumpstart creator Rob Armstrong, who was signed to the syndicate, same syndicate at the time, United Media, as Scott was. They launched at the same time. They were friends. Uh, he is one of the most prominent black syndicated cartoonists we have working today and is now moving into television production with CBS. So we'll hear more from him. When I reached him, he considered himself a friend of Scott's. They hung out at with Charles Schultz in the 90s. Um, 
Scott Adams even blurbed Rob's 2016 book mm. and called it insightful and just a wonderful, particularly uh, wonderful look and insightful look at the insider life of a cartoonist. So this for someone like Rob Armstrong, uh, who's who's, by the way, his his name even inspired the, the last name of Franklin and Peanuts. That is how he embe is embedded in a comics culture. And he told me he thought it was a prank when one of his actor friends last week told him what Scott had said last Wednesday about race relations and hate groups and segregation. He told me he was shook. He was hurt. Uh, he shed a few tears. And then he said, well, to find out your your friend or once upon a time, a friend, his he quote was a soulless, heartless racist. He said it broke my heart, but he said, I won't be inviting him to my rap party for my TV show. Um, we're at a point where, um, you know, I interviewed Scott's editor in the 90s, his main editor of Dilbert. And she told me, look, you know, at the time he seemed like, a, you know, he was a satirically sharp cartoonist. What she told me over the weekend is, but look, we have no place for comments from his that are uh, involved things that are immoral and ethical and illegal. So uh, what I've noticed is I interviewed Scott in uh, 2015, 2016, and what he told me was essentially that he was finding it was the, some of the most thrilling, one of the most thrilling years of his life because he is really leaning into being a YouTube pundit, leaning into the politics um, at one point, endorsing Trump, telling me that he thought Trump was almost like a master cultural hypnotist and truth teller. And what essentially what Scott was saying is um, that he was more invested in being a, a provocative pundit that, at that point than he was being a cartoonist. Yeah, you know, this, uh, 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 Angela, you were pointing out that you felt that uh, if you followed uh, Scott Adams's career, there were some danger signs uh, along the way. I don't know if uh, that's anything that you wanted to share here. Well, it was something that I saw this morning on Twitter and, it, you know, people can investigate it for themselves. But but that fact that um, there were AOL handles that were tied to him that had, um, you know, the N word and and the C word, you know, for for Asian people that were there. But what I wanted to 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 get back to uh, is when you mentioned um, that Elon Musk was uh, supporting him, and there's nothing surprising about that. I mean, Elon Musk is somebody from South Africa whose family profited off of apartheid. Also, uh, Elon Musk and Tes Tesla was famously sued in 2017. The black person that sued them got was awarded by a federal jury um, $137 million because of having the N-word said to him at work out loud 30 times, having a culture of racism at Tesla. 15 other people came out last year that are also suing a Tesla for racial discrimination. There is a culture under you know, uh, him under Elon Musk. So he and Scott are aligned in their ideology and Trump is aligned in that ideology. And the rise of the Tea Party and the the um, the type of images that were put out um, on Michelle Obama, you know, you know, and the type of, of language that was used against when President Obama was the president and what um, we saw happening with uh, Kamala Harris when she was 
running. These are the underlying things that go on when you've got systemic racism in your society that's not rooted out. So when they bubble up to the surface like this, particularly somebody who has a platform like this, suddenly we're all paying attention, but we need to get back to the root cause of racism. And that is, there's a, a gap in understanding and education. And when you see it in the media and it's normalized, the next generation thinks it's okay to use that kind of language. It's okay to be a racist because it's normalized. Hmm. Yeah, I think those that's uh, those that's uh, an important point for people like me because when I see something like this Scott Adams uh, 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 prank or what I do, I guess that's not the right word. But there's part of it that like appears to me purposely calculated to win attention uh, and sort of set himself on fire in, in front of the audience to draw the rest of us into a conversation about uh, his ideas, right? Either by denouncing him and then also by uh, uh, winning uh, his own adherence as part of this like whole, this whole bonfire, right? So a little part of my reaction is like, I always in this kind of situation have a little hesitancy to jump in, to be baited into that conversation, uh, and yet I think it is important to do for the for the reasons that uh, that Angela is sharing. Um, yeah, go ahead, Michael. And and one th one thing I wanted to know, Jeff, was that um, you know part and parcel with this is how people view comic strips. You know, it's it's seen as a very friendly, often approachable commercial art. There are, are historical occasions. You know, Gary Trudeau was launched specifically. Mm -hmm as a political strip, transparent. I've interviewed him often about this. But historically, we have creators like uh, like Al Cap, uh, who did Little Abner, and Harold Gray with Little Orphan Annie, who they're what Mike Peterson, the industry blogger, told me their antisocial views and their bit bitter politics seeped into their comics. The problem is uh, you know, that in that era, con comics were in the in mainstream culture. They were part of daily conversation, less so now. So what happens is, um, you know, I've moderated multiple times. Congressman John Lewis may rest in power. He believed in the power of comics as a way of teaching with his civil rights memoir March and a subsequent run. And I remember moderating him in a big hall. And he stopped me and he said, thank you, Michael, not only for the power of your pen, but for the power of your mind. And what he was saying was not a compliment, but as a mission. And what we were getting at, what he was saying is the power of the cartoon image. He was reached as a boy, he said, growing up uh, in the era of Emmett Till. He said that had a profound effect on him, but so did a, a comic book referencing Martin Luther King and the Montgomery story. He couldn't get a library card until much later when he had his own graphic novel in the last 12 years and went back and got a library card at the same library that had segregated him. The point of this is the, the, the power of the image, even though Dilbert may not be a quote unquote a killed kid strip, we, have, we still have to be very careful in monitoring in comics in 2023 what is being said. I don't mean monitoring like free speech because it's an issue really of free market and consequences of the free market. But what I will say is, um, you know, it is you bear responsibility. All editors bear responsibility is 
you know, what what are we not being mindful of in in what is often considered childlike images? Uh, if it were a movie, there would have been much more discussion. If, if I believe if Scott Adams were uh, a, a major filmmaker right now, if if he were a major TV show runner, if he were a prominent prose author, I think a lot of this would have been examined much sooner. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, uh, I, I also take to heart the the uh, the role you're pointing out, which is that as editors like the uh, curator of a museum or uh, or the head of a, uh, a book publishing house, uh, we're acting as cultural gatekeepers on whose voices are heard. So for me, you know, when I look at the comics, which I'm not a comics reader, and they're coming in from these syndicates, and they've been in there, most of them for decades, very low on my list of things to scrutinize. But as you're pointing out, that in itself is an endorsement of everything that's there. And I think that was a little bit to Angela's point as well, whose voices are being centered. And when we uh, uh, when we see uh, racist views, misogyny, uh, um, uh, ugly ideas from the creator. Um, we just can't center those voices in our in our in our work. So, certainly a, 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 an ugly chapter this week. Um, I think with that, I will turn it back to you, Luis. Thank you very much, Jeff and Laura, and thank you very much for your time and insights to Angela DeJoseph, founder of Women of Color Roar, and Michael Kavna with the Washington Post. That does it for this edition of The Backstory. For everyone at the San Diego Union-Tribune, thank you very much for listening and for supporting local journalism. Have a great day, everybody.